Hi everyone, my name is Mike Estefan, and I thank you for joining me on this month's deep dive episode on the EM Clerkship Podcast. This episode is going to cover my approach to the acutely agitated patient in the ED. But before we begin, just a quick word from our sponsors over at Pearson Rabbits, my personal own occupation disability insurance broker. I obtained an own occupation disability insurance policy from Pearson Rabbits as a resident and locked in a low resident only rate. As a result, if for any reason I am unable to perform my job as an emergency medicine attending physician, I will be compensated with a high percentage of my post-tax salary, even if I am still able to work in other areas of the medical field. This is why own occupation disability insurance is so important. Pearson Rabbits is a company that specializes in helping healthcare professionals obtain specifically own occupation disability insurance. Don't wait until it's too late. Check out Pearson Rabbits at www.pearsonrabbits.com and schedule a consultation appointment with them today. Don't forget to mention EM Clerkship when you do. And now back to our episode. Now, this is going to be a quick one. We're going to go through my approach to the agitated patient, and then we'll discuss a few miscellaneous tips when it comes to the management of these patients. And finally, we'll end the episode with a somewhat controversial discussion about hyperactive delirium with severe agitation, something formerly known as agitated delirium. Agitation is one of the most common chief complaints we see in the ED. I probably see a case at least every other shift. I start by classifying the severity of the patient's agitation as this dictates my initial management. And I do this by dividing patients into one of three different categories, either mildly agitated, moderately agitated, or severely agitated. Before we break these down, I want to stress the importance of figuring out why the patient is agitated. Now, to be fair, the vast majority of cases are related to psychiatric emergencies or drug intoxication, especially in mild to moderate cases. However, other potential underlying life-threatening causes do exist, especially in the case of severe agitation. These cases can include hyperthermia, hypoxemia, intracerebral hemorrhage, serotonin syndrome, neuroleptic malignant syndrome, sepsis, severe metabolic or respiratory acidosis, just to name a few. And yes, I've personally seen many of these pathologies in the severely agitated patient. Okay, so stratification. Let's start with the mildly agitated patient. The mildly agitated patient is clearly agitated, but is somewhat cooperative and redirectable. They don't really disrupt the normal function of the ED, if you know what I mean, and they can usually be managed with simple verbal de-escalation or redirection. If verbal de-escalation doesn't work, I will usually attempt to convince the patient to take something by PO, some kind of medication, such as, you know, lorazepam or azaprazidone. Sometimes I even have to play the food card and offer the patient a turkey sandwich or another delightful snack in the ED to get them to calm down, and this sometimes will work as well. And that's simply all I do for the mildly agitated patient. I would say this is the least common type of agitation we see in the ER. 
the most common type of agitation that I personally see is the moderately agitated patient. The moderately agitated patient is disruptive of the normal function of the ED. They are shouting profanities, they are threatening violence, they refuse to cooperate. While this patient is a potential threat to the safety of themselves and ED staff, they are usually not an imminent risk. Verbal de-escalation here rarely works, and IM medications are pretty much always needed. Here, I am usually sticking to benzodiazepines and antipsychotics, which typically have an onset time of 10 to 30 minutes, depending on what you use. We'll talk more about my preferred agents in a little bit. Usually the patient will have to be physically restrained for at least the first 15 minutes while waiting for these medications to take effect. And lastly, we have the severely agitated patient. This is the scariest patient. These patients are at an imminent danger to themselves or to ED staff, and they tend to have a very high mortality rate. They are often violent, throwing chairs, IV poles, or any objects they can get hands on, and any nearby staff are at high risk of injury. These patients need immediate restraint and sedation, not only for the protection of staff and other patients in the ER, but to facilitate rapid diagnosis of an acutely life-threatening underlying condition. You almost always won't even have a set of vital signs on them because of how violent they are, and hypoxemia, hypercapnia, or hyperthermia can certainly be the driving etiology, as well as head bleeds, sepsis, serotonin syndrome, NMS, etc., etc. For the patient with severe agitation, I hit them with something I call a K-dart, aka ketamine intramuscular, 5 mg per kg intramuscular with a max dose of 500 milligrams. Time to onset here is 2 to 5 minutes, and immediately after the situation is safe, these patients should be put on a non-rebreather. Again, you normally do not have a set of vital signs yet, and they could be critically hypoxemic with resulting encephalopathy, and they should be brought to the resuscitation room. You may need to intubate the patient for airway protection and to facilitate further testing, such as IV placement, CT imaging, or possibly even lumbar puncture. Now, I've honestly only had to give ketamine once as a physician for agitation, and it was while I was a freaking resident. It was terrifying. I was a brand new PGY2, and I was the senior trauma ICU resident on nights. And while my trauma attending was asleep, a post-operative trauma patient who was extubated earlier in the day to BiPAP ripped off his BiPAP mask, ripped out his central line, ripped out all his IVs, and chucked, literally picked up the BiPAP machine and chucked it across the room at me. Yeah, this guy probably had a foot and 100 pounds on me, and it was one of the scariest experiences of my life. It turns out that this guy developed critical hypercapnia while he was off the BiPAP. Needless to say, he ended up intubated shortly after for critical hypercapnic respiratory failure. Now with that story in mind, let's talk about a few safety pointers when it comes to the management of the acutely agitated patient. So number one, as I learned quite quickly as a resident, make sure you never let the patient get between yourself and the exit to the room, or else you may find yourself in a quite dicey situation. Number two, 
IM medications are safe to be given through clothes if absolutely necessary. Number three, the classic B52, which for those of you who don't know, includes 50 milligrams of IM Benadryl, five milligrams of IM Haldol, and two milligrams of IM Ativan take way too long to take effect in my opinion, and there are objectively better options. This is assuming these other options are available immediately to nursing staff. If these other options aren't in the Pixis and take time to come from pharmacy, then do not use them. So droperidol and olanzapine tend to be better choices for antipsychotics as they have a time of onset intermuscularly of about 10 to 15 minutes compared to Haldol's onset time of about 20 to 30 minutes. Similarly, midazolam or Versed's onset time is about 10 to 15 minutes is much faster than lorazepam or Ativan's onset time of 20 to 25 minutes. So I personally tend to use either 5 milligrams of droperidol or 10 milligrams of olanzapine with 5 milligrams of Versed. And my last tip, number four, a word on physical restraints. Physical restraints are very dangerous and their use is associated with increased morbidity and increased mortality. And they should only be used for the absolute minimal amount of time necessary. They also should never be used in isolation. So if I'm physically restraining somebody, then they are immediately receiving medications afterwards and the restraints will be removed as soon as they are no longer necessary. And that's my approach to the agitated patient. Let's summarize real quick. Mildly agitated patients can often be managed solely by verbal de-escalation. Moderately agitated patients pose a safety threat to themselves and others, but the threat is usually not imminent. These patients can be managed with IM benzos and antipsychotics, which have an onset time of anywhere between 15 and 30 minutes. Severely agitated patients pose an imminent threat to themselves and others, requiring immediate intervention with IM ketamine, which has an onset time of two to five minutes, in order to facilitate de-escalation as well as rapid diagnosis of potential underlying conditions. With that out of the way, I think a discussion on what was formerly known as excited delirium is warranted. Excited delirium was a post-mortem diagnosis that the American College of Emergency Physicians, or ASEP for short, began to formally recognize in 2009, though synonyms for this term have been described in the literature since the 1800s. The diagnostic term is surrounded by controversy. The postmortem diagnosis of excited delirium has been disproportionately given to young black males who died in the presence of police custody, as opposed to white males who were more likely to receive the postmortem diagnosis of cocaine or drug intoxication. Furthermore, the diagnostic term of excited delirium, again coined by ASAP, utilized seemingly racial stereotypes, such as, and I quote, superhuman-like strength, impervious to pain, hyperaggressiveness, and failure to recognize or to respond to police presence at the scene, all of which are stereotypes often associated with young black males. It raises the following question. Was this diagnostic term of excited delirium coined as a way to explain away, 
or discriminate or justify otherwise preventable deaths of black men in police custody as inevitable. Fortunately, the American Medical Association, the American Psychiatric Association, the American Academy of Emergency Medicine, and the National Association of Medical Examiners have all come out publicly opposing the terminology of excited delirium and its associated description. And thankfully, as of April 2023, the term excited delirium is a term no longer recognized by ASEP after nearly 14 years of recognition. Instead, the term hyperactive delirium with severe agitation instead has been coined and is recognized by ASEP. And ASEP defines this term as a potentially life-threatening clinical condition characterized by a combination of vital sign abnormalities, such as elevated temperature, elevated blood pressure, pronounced agitation, altered mental status, and metabolic derangements. This new term and definition is certainly more objective and medically accurate compared to that of excited delirium, but I do question why this distinct diagnosis needs to exist in the first place when it doesn't seem distinct from the already existing DSM-5 diagnosis of delirium hyperactive subtype. In any case, I just wanted to fill you all in on the history of this term in case any of you are still using it unaware of the racial biases at play. I think we can all agree that the clinical recognition of the severely agitated patient with hyperactive delirium is important in order to facilitate immediate treatment with restoration of normal physiology and subsequent reduction in mortality. And that's all I have for you. Thank you everyone for tuning in. If you have any questions about this deep dive or comments or feedback, please send me an email. My email is mike, that's M-I-K-E, at emclerkship.com. And until next month, keep working hard, keep studying, and be sure to enjoy your shift.